You know the Pope listens Dynasty our religion For the blokes missing On all of these trades On all of these plays On all of these grades By the end of the day Y'all getting played So what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex Send the homie a text That trash off is the best You try to make it complex Then they text you back Now all of a sudden They don't make any sense <laughs> Broaden your horizons boy Dynasty's not for the Simons boy Trade's not for consignment, boy Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy This my advice, from me to you Open up your cute little podcast queue Search up G-O-A-T district, my dude Pop it in your ear, man, y'all know what to do It's the... And I'll always be traded And I'll always be traded And I'll always be traded Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them Fish What is up, Fantasyland? We are back in the district. It might be a new month, but the same VIP guest list is back in the district, and tonight is no different. Big week, guys. The best balls are flying. The dinos are flying. You're in there making trades, and no better man to bring in than the late-round QB himself, Mr. JJ Zacharyzin. Welcome to the district, brother. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to, uh, to talk a little fantasy football with you. Yeah, absolutely. Us too. Um, so you, you've got uh, kind of a new website going. And everything. Why don't you tell everybody about that? I'm sure a lot of people have seen it on Twitter, but uh, you know, just in case people can kind of had their heads stuck in the sand, um, give us a give us a little bit of a, a clue what's going on there. Yeah. So you know, I was with FanDuel and Number Fire for a number of years. Uh, decided to to leave that job and and sort of venture out on my own. Um, and so I started Late Round Fantasy Football. Uh, you know, LateRound.com has all the info for you. But I've got a Patreon page. I'm going to be dropping a prospect guide uh, on March 14th. It's coming uh, coming up a lot sooner and quicker than I had anticipated. But it'll be ready. It'll be out. It'll be good. Uh, so I got that going. Uh, and then still, you know, the late round podcast is still happening as well. So it's really, you know, I, I just went out and, and wanted to, to start something where I could have uh, more of a direct relationship with with my audience and, and with folks who have supported me through the years. And, you know, so far it's, it's been a blast. And I, I hope that that folks who have, uh, you know, subscribed to the Patreon and, um, you know, have, have pre-ordered the guide, hope they're excited for that. Uh, you know, I hope they're getting something out of it. Uh, talk a little bit more about that late round rookie guide. I'm excited to, uh, to read it. And explain to everybody what Draft Capital Delta is. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I feel like I, I've done a ton of, uh, of uh, work in, in talking about my prospect model through the year, especially over on the Late Round podcast. And uh, I, I've never really, like, put it all into, like, a comprehens- comprehensive space uh, for folks to read about and to digest and to understand. And that's really what uh, the Late Round Prospect Guide is going to be all about is, is – it's a place where you're going to be able to learn about what the the model uh, does uh, and what goes into it and why the inputs are the, what the inputs are. And I'll tell a story of the things that I failed doing while building it and all of that. Um, and then on top of that, I'm going to have, uh, you know, some prospect profiles in there. So I'm going to be profiling uh, every single running back and wide receiver that's going to be at the combine. So 76 guys in total, I'll have some, some profiles for. And then I also in this guide have what I, what I've dubbed the year two model, uh, which is essentially looking at uh, second-year guys, so guys who have played one year in the NFL. Um, and I build a model that helps project how they do in years two and three in fantasy football. So I profile the, the higher-end players there. So there's uh, 15 wide receivers and 10 running backs that I profile and talk about whether you should buy or sell them. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned the, the draft capital delta thing. That's the other thing. You know, within this guide, I'm introducing new concepts that I haven't really talked about that much uh, on my show or just out on Twitter and such. Draft capital delta, so essentially... Uh, my prospect model spits out a percentile score for every player. Um, and then draft capital, technically you can find a percentile for draft capital as well. And so what it does is it says, okay, this player has a 90th percentile prospect score, but his draft capital says he was an 85th percentile wide receiver or running back, whoever you're looking at. And so the draft capital delta is this five percentage points where the model likes the player five percentage points or five percentile points better than what draft capital does. So it's a way of sort of finding value and seeing who's over and undervalued 
uh, via the model versus the draft. That sounds awesome. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, th- and that's something I kind of want to get into a little bit later too, but uh, uh, let's, let's just kind of jump into some of your top players. I know that, um, you know, you recently discussed your, your top three wide receivers on uh, your podcast. I, it was either last week or this week. I've, I'm, I'm losing track, <laughs> but uh, you were talking about your wide receiver model and uh, who your top three wide receivers were. Um, just kind of give us a, a little bit of an idea what what goes into your wide receiver model uh, pre-draft and pre-combine, and then uh, you know why did what what receivers do you like, and uh, why did you pick them? Yeah, so uh, you know the model itself has uh, a decent amount of inputs. It's not the most complicated thing in the world, um, and I you know walk through all of that within the guide, and you know so that people can understand. You know, I'm trying to be as transparent as possible with this stuff. There's no reason to hide from what I'm doing. It's not like it's rocket science slash. It's not like I need to hide from it. Um, but you know, with the wide receiver model, as you guys know, and as most people in fantasy and play dynasty know, uh, it's just super, super important to, to look and focus on age, uh, at the wide receiver position, age adjusted production, uh, is insanely important, especially when you compare that to the running back position, it just matters more wide receivers. So I look at things like breakout age within this model. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I'm looking at whether or not the player was an early declare. Um, and that's something that, that gets a lot of signal within the models if a guy was coming out before his senior year or not. Um, and so that's part of it as well. So that's all sort of like the age bucket, right? You got breakout age, you got whether or not this guy's coming out early. And, you know, if the, if the player's coming out early, it's a sign of talent because if he wasn't talented enough, then he'd go back to school and play another year. That's at least the, the hypothesis and the, the, the logic behind why early declare matters. Um, and then there's three main production metrics that this model looks at. Uh, it's uh, best season receptions per game at the wide receiver position, uh, best season yards per team pass attempt, and best season touchdown share. And I just get uh, sort of the standardized number for each of those th- each of those metrics, uh, and it, and it uh, adds up to become a, a stat score, if you will. Uh, and so, you know, it's not the the end of the world if a guy has a, a low touchdown share or a, you know a receptions per game that's not great. Uh, but you know, something like yards per team pass attempt is fairly predictive when looking at you know how a guy plays in college to, to how he translates to the NFL. So it's looking at these three things, these three uh, production metrics. And then I also, within the model at the wide receiver position, have uh, what's called, well, I have draft capital, of course, because you got to add in draft capital at some point. So you know, pre-combine, uh, pre-draft, uh, I'm taking uh, projected draft capital from places like NFL mock draft database. And I'm just trying to see relatively where these guys are going to go. And then obviously you'll have better information post-draft. But uh, so I'll plug that in pre-draft. But then also, you know, I do worry a little bit about size. Uh, it's not nearly as big of a deal at wide receiver as it is running back. I was not a Devontae Smith BMI truther last year or anything like that. Uh, you know, it's, it's not it's not a huge, huge deal. Uh, but I do look at size still. It still is an input in the model. Uh, and then I have two more things. I have what's called a, a conference factor and something that's called a, a teammate score. And so essentially, if a wide receiver is playing with high-level teammates, uh, you know, he'll get a bump in score because he's doing what he's doing. We'll play, you know, if you look at like a, a Garrett Wilson or something like that, uh, you know, he's playing with Chris Olave and, and such. And so, uh, you know, you, you get a, a better score overall because of that. Um, and then conference factors essentially like, you know, did you play at a, at a school, uh, you know, with, with higher end competition or did you play, uh, you know, some, some random D3 school and, and that's why you were able to put up the numbers that you put up. So uh, all of those things uh, sort of go into this model and say uh, t- to say this is the percentile score that this guy has. And th- that's that's sort of the, the, the starting point that I work off of for, uh, you know, the, the prospecting process. All right. That, that makes sense. Uh, so, you know, what I'm kind of hearing is you're trying to bring in some context to when you're when you're putting your numbers together, you know, you're you're like trying to to fold in that context of, you know, like what conference did he play in the, the, you know, what kind of teammates did he play with all that? Fair to say. Yeah. 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 For sure. You know, I, I think that um, there's a lot of data uh, analysts out there. I mean, myself included, obviously I'm, a, I'm, I'm leading with data with all of this, but um, that, you know, I, I think there are a lot of times where a prospect might look a certain way in the spreadsheets um, you know, Jalen Waddle's a great example from last year, right? Where, where Jalen Waddle's he has an incomplete profile overall, 
because of obvious reasons, right? I mean, like he he had a decent breakout age and he, uh, as a freshman, had pretty good production while playing with first round talent, you know, on his team. Um, but when you look at that in a spreadsheet, you're not necessarily getting that nuance the same way, right? And so I'm still looking at all of these players on an individual basis and going player by player and saying, oh, this happened because of this and this happened because of this. But at the end of the day, you know, I know that the model for like I've tested the model and I know that the model is not only better at predicting first three year success uh, uh, versus draft capital alone, uh, but I know that it's better than than rookie draft average draft position because I've tested against it. So I know that I can fall back on this model. Uh, you know, I might stray away from it at times. I mean, like a good example of that is is uh, like the model didn't mind Tutu Atwell last year. Right. Like it was mm-hmm. like. It's like yeah, two two like I mean look at his, look at him objectively right. He had really good age adjusted production. Uh, he was a second round pick when he probably shouldn't have been a second round pick, but he was a second round pick. The only thing that was really wrong with Tutu was obviously his size, but it was such an outlier in size that I just couldn't couldn't rank him high. Like it didn't make any sense to rank someone like Tutu Atwell high, despite what the model was saying. So there are some things that the model won't find. Uh, that I'm totally fine with. And I was I had Jalen Waddle as my wide receiver three uh, in the class. I mean, he was ranked around there from in, in the model, but it wasn't like he was this like obvious, you know, like like Jamar Chase level talent or anything like that or close to that. Um, and so, you know, there there is some subjectivity involved still because I think there needs to be subjectivity involved. This is something that's very, very hard to solve. Uh, it is not something that, uh, you know, not something that you can just like, plug in a few uh, a few inputs and say, oh, this is definitely the way that we should go. I think that nuance is very important with this process. Getting, getting back to those wide receivers, um, Drake London, Trey Lundberks, and, and Garrett Wilson, um, obviously pre-draft capital coming into it. Is, was that a significant um, top tier for you, or was there a pretty close to maybe wide receiver four? Uh, yeah, it was pretty significant, I'd say. I mean, it, it's not like uh, Jameson Williams and Chris Olave are like that far away from them. Uh, you know, both of, of those two are still good prospects in the model. They're in the, the 90th to 95th percentile range, which is still very strong. But anytime I get a wide receiver or running back prospect that's in the 95th to 100th percentile, it's it's an eyebrow raiser. It's someone that I, I definitely want to be targeting in my rookie drafts because the hit rates within the model are, are pretty substantial. They're, they're, they're pretty strong. So uh, those three wide receivers, Garrett Wilson, uh, Drake London, and Traylon Burks, they are all sort of scrunched in in that 96th, 97th percentile range. Right now, the model has it with Wilson, then London, then Burks. But, I, it, you know, it, it's not – I wouldn't fault anyone if they want to put Burks. I'm, I might even have Burks as my wide receiver one when it's all said and done. You know, it's not – it's not that big of a deal to me, especially, you know, th- these are the situations where these guys are so close in score that I think it's okay to use something like landing spot as a tiebreaker. Like it's fine to do that, even though I'm not a big landing spot person, uh, you know, when it, when it does, uh, when, when it is used in like a tiebreaking fashion, when prospects are really close, I don't think it's that big of a deal to do that. You know, it's, it's more so jumping a player up in tier or something like that. So those three to me are definitely the clear top three in this class. Uh, I think they're awesome. I think they all bring something unique to the table that that the others don't necessarily do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would be fine with any of them at the top of my rookie drafts this year. And speaking yeah. of the top tier, you have you seem to have a, a clear top two uh, at running back as well to go with these top three wide receivers. Maybe you could elaborate a little bit on Spiller and Hall. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think Spiller and Hall are. are I would argue that the two of them are in more of a tier uh, in an island than the the three wide receivers I was just referring to. At least in in terms of what the model is seeing right now. You know, part of that is projected draft capital. You know, I right now in the model I have. Let's see, I have Spiller uh, going forty fifth overall and uh, Brees going forty eighth overall. So. Uh, you know, you're looking at like the early to mid second round for these guys compared to a lot of others, you know, more late second round into the third round. Um, and so, you know, that obviously plays a role. But, you know, there there are flaws to no, number one. I'd say there are still some flaws to their profiles, but uh, there, are, there are just a lot of flaws to the running backs in this class. Like, I, I think that this class in general, um, you know, just to give you some context, like Brees Hall is the the RB one. I mean, you could you could argue Spiller, too, within the model, but. Uh, Brees Hall being the RB1, he's still a 93rd percentile prospect in the model. Um, but if you look at last season with Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Javante Williams, all three of them were far better than than what Brees Hall is within the model. They were all 95th percentile or better. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily super, super high on these running backs. They're just the top of 
this class. I think this class is more so a class that, uh, you know, lacks that star power, but it actually has decent enough depth where I think that we can throw some some interesting darts in rounds two and three of our rookie drafts and maybe come away with someone someone that's decent. Guys, let me let me jump in here. We got to give a, a bit of love, guys. Show some love for JJ. Show some love for the district. Smash the like button, and uh, let's give a bit of love to our partners at the FFPC, myffpc.com, guys. It's that time of year. Best balls, dinos. You want to play for twenty-five grand? You want to play for five hundred grand? You want to play for a million? You sign up at myffpc.com. Tell them the Goat District sent you. You can reach uh, reach out to us at Goat District. We'll give you guys uh, access to an exclusive bonus when you sign up little $35 action in your face. And uh, we've got a little partnership uh, to share with you guys later on in the show uh, that we're, we're starting uh, moving forward. And uh, it'll, it'll benefit you guys as well. So we'll share that later in the show. Let's get back to JJ. And, and guys, do you have any more rookie stuff before we get into my favorite topic? Uh, some dynasty buys and sells? I, I kind of want to get to your... You, so you have basically your big three wideouts, your big two running backs... Is it, it, would you lump those those together into like a clear top five? Um, just trying to tear out this class. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, I, I think that you could argue, though, strongly, too, that it, it that the wide receiver should be in their own tier above the running backs. And, and I know that a lot of people are lump. I mean, I've seen a lot of people just drafting Spiller or Hall 101, 102, uh, you know, in non-superflex rookie drafts. So, like, I understand uh, going that direction. I just happen to be someone – who uh, typically builds through wide receiver uh, and, and will we'll lean that way when doing rankings as well. You know, there's a lot of research I've done on on that in terms of appreciation and uh, hit rates in rookie drafts uh, with the wide receiver position in the top half of the first round and, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, I, I can understand going Spiller or Hall, but I would say, you know, when it's all said and done, I would not be surprised if my tiers are more so those three wide receivers and then a tier two of just those two running backs. Do you gonna, see, sorry, Dan, let me just throw in a little super flex action. You're talking about these RBs and these receivers. If we're talking super flex rookie drafts right now, am I, am I hearing, uh, where, where are you placing, I guess, the QBs and the RBs? I know. Things? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, that's like the million dollar question I feel like right now in, in dynasty, right? It's like, where, what are we doing with like Malik? What are we doing with some, you know, I'm, I'm like everyone else, not super enthused about this quarterback class. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Pitt alum. I love me some Kenny Pickett. You know, that's more of a on, on the on a personal side, but I understand there's a lot holding him back in terms of being a, a top tier prospect. So I'm not going to let that get in the way. Um, so you know, I I think that you know Malik is, is someone who uh, is just interesting from an upside standpoint um, because we know what he can do from a cheat code standpoint, fantasy football. Um, so I you know I, I think at the end of the day, I'm likely going to have him you know in that top tier, top two tiers. Uh, you know, again, I, I still think you can make an argument that these three wide receivers are better than any quarterback, even in a super flex format. And I'm someone who, you know, will value the quarterback position quite a bit in a super flex format in dynasty. Um, so I, I still think you can argue that the three wide receivers are better than any quarterback in this class. I think landing spots going to matter uh, for these quarterbacks and, and draft capital is going to matter for these quarterbacks because that's an embedded uh, and inherent evaluation, right? By these NFL teams that spend millions and millions of dollars uh prospecting and finding uh players and, and saying i really want to get this guy in the first round that means something you know there's something to that there's a lot of evaluation embedded in that so uh you know it depends on where they end up end up getting drafted but i, I would say you know if we if we run with the idea that the three wide receivers are in tier one and then the two running backs are in tier two i think like a guy like malik is sort of like floating right now like between the two depending on where uh, you know, he ends up landing. I, if you're drafting tomorrow, I would feel a lot better and feel safer just going with one of the wide receivers first. A shout out to uh, Joey Brown in the chat. Um, Joey's a, a very successful high stakes player and a friend of the show. Uh, he is also a big fan of Wandale Robinson. Mm-hmm. Do you have any initial leans on Wandale and, and how he's uh, how is he looking in your model? He looks great, in my model man. Uh, Wandale is is awesome. My my nice. only fear, my only fear is the fear that everyone else has is that when he when he measures in on on Thursday and he you know if he's five foot eight, uh, you know that's not that's just not a good sign, right? I mean, I, it's again, it's not a death sentence for these guys, but uh, but I've I've looked through my model and and if you know I I usually date back to about 2011 with stuff just to keep things more recent in terms of player comps and and historical comparisons, but. You know, if you look back and my model looks at every player that was at the combine or got drafted 
uh, over that time frame. So this is like, you know, if I go back to 2011, it's over the last 11 years. Uh, the only successful player that's under 5'9", and it's relative success is Jamison Crowder. That's really, that's the only player that we've really seen. You know, he's even listed at 5'9", 5'10", in some places, but he was at the combine, he was 5'8". And so that's the fear with Wondell Robinson is that what if he really is, you know, what what if we go down this Rondell Moore path again, where we get this ultra productive player in college? I don't think he's quite a Rondell Moore, but you get this ultra productive uh, wide receiver in college. um, And, you know, he's just not big enough. And, and, you know, there's, there's at least that's at least a red flag. You know, it's sort of the way that I look at this stuff is that I don't write players off if they have one or two knocks uh, in their analytical profile. But I look at it as more of a red flag. You know, it's, it's just something that we have to be somewhat concerned about because we don't see players of that archetype really succeed very often. But I love I mean, if he's if he comes out, and he's 5'11", has a decent BMI. I am just, you know. Chips in the middle of the table, all in. Let's do it. Let's go. I <laughs> you and me both. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Shout out nice. to Hutchinson Brown in the chat. Um, Hutchinson's asking, does basically, if I'm understanding his question, do injuries factor into your to your model? So a guy like Jamison Williams, um, who we all we all like him as a prospect, um, he's got the ACL injury. Um, does that? factor in or you still wait for more information on that sort of an injury yeah there's there's it won't be factored in it's really just looking at what they did from a production standpoint i get a lot of questions too um because my my the numbers in the model are season-long numbers so if you look at you know something like yards per team pass attempt it's literally the the number of receiving yards a player had divided by the number of, of pass attempts his team had during that season it's not on a per game basis and a lot of people are like why aren't you looking at it on a, on a per game basis? And the reason number one is that it doesn't matter. Actually, the model from a predictability standpoint uh, is more predictive when I use season long numbers versus per game numbers. And I think part of that is because you can look at it from a, from a reverse angle as well, because think about Jalen Waddle, right? Jalen Waddle his, his final season in college plays four games. Then he gets hurt. Right. But in those four games, we, we all, I mean, he was outpacing Devonte Smith who ended up winning the Heisman. Right. So, Clearly, you can you can do some subjective projecting there and say Jalen Waddle would have had a monster, monster season had he not gotten hurt. But if you went on a per game basis and looked at his numbers on a per game basis, you know, they looked very, very good. But what if those four games, it's not a big sample size. So what if those four games were actually sort of an anomaly, right? Like you, you don't know if it's an anomaly or not. So I think that's part of the reason why uh, the per game numbers just aren't necessarily at more predictive than uh, season long numbers. Drake London's a great example of that in my model right now, where, you know, he didn't, he, he, he never would play a complete season in college. And, uh, you know, his yards per team pass attempt and games that he did play this past year was 3.26, which is unbelievably good. But in my model, it's 2.17. Uh, so there's a drastic, drastic difference. He still looks good in my model because there's other inputs in the model that, uh, you know, allow him to look good. Um, but at the same time, you know, someone would be like, well, that's not fair to Drake London. And it's like, yeah, I understand that, but at the same time, you know, you don't know for sure what uh, this small sample would have proven across a larger sample either. You know, you have to look at it from on the, on the opposite side too, which is why we have inputs like uh, you know draft capital in there that can even things out a little bit if a player doesn't look as good from a production standpoint analytically. So um, yeah, so you know, just to answer that question sort of more directly, um, you know, it, it's not taking into consideration injury; it's just looking at their production. And then I'll just subjectively change things if I need to. You know, I, they're, they're, it, it works in the opposite way, too, where like a George Pickens or a Justin Ross, you know, they don't look as good as they could. Uh, you know, it's just just so I guess it's subjectively, but I think objectively, too, like they just don't look as good in the model as they arguably could or should uh, because of their injuries that they sustain in college. But you have to just, you know, just look at it and give it some context. And then, uh, you know, I use this more of a gu- as a guide as uh, you know, versus anything else. Right. And I, I think our, our friend uh, Kevin Wheeler said it, you know, draft capital kind of encapsulates the injury a little bit yep. as yep. far as, you know, it, but in Dynasty, as well as, um, you know, in the NFL teams, I mean, we're playing the long game here. Uh, you know, so something like an ACL, you know, right. you, you kind of the way they're going now, you, you pretty much assume he's going to make a full recovery. It may take, you know, more than a year before we see him 100 percent back. Um, you know, I think, I think we in the fantasy community get a little bit 
ahead of ourselves with uh, some of these injuries, you know, and, and what the recovery time is going to be. But, you know, what, what that's going to do, I think, um, is for a guy like uh, Jamison Williams, he's going to be less attractive to dynasty teams that are, you know, in kind of more of a win now or they're uh, trying to rebuild or whatever. Whereas a team that's really stacked, you know, and is really not worried about addressing any kind of key weakness right now, you know, Jamison Williams dropping into their lap could be a perfect thing. So, yeah. uh, you know, you have to you have to know where you are, and uh, sometimes, you know, I think, you know, when we're when we're on a, a re, you know rebuilder or you know re, retooling a little bit, you don't want to be scared off from a guy like Jamison Williams. Sure, you don't get the you know the immediate uh, satisfaction of seeing a pick you know, go out there and perform great week one or whatever. But, um, you know, if, if you're not going to be competitive until 2023, it, what he does in 2022 really isn't that important to you. Right. Yeah. It seems like that kind of draft where, um, the, the guys at the, the back end of the first round are all potential, all potentially strong. In my opinion, it's kind of like what, what Dan was saying. You might have, uh, the guy that won your league might end up with Jamison Williams and just, it's how the rich stay rich in uh, in dynasty mm-hmm. football. Yep. yep, 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 exactly. Sorry, my uh, Batman, my Batman sound effect went a little early. Dan, we going dino or what, man? I'm I'm itching over here. I want to talk <laughs> buys and sells. I got one. I got one question for for JJ. Just since it was the topic of uh, of the Do week it. on Twitter. Do it. Running back. Running back. A. Oh yeah. Running back. <laughs> yeah, we almost <laughs> forgot, Dan. After all that, this is this has my become what color. Been- yeah, this, this has become what what color is the dress in the, in right. the fantasy community at this point. Yeah, so so yeah, it was this Dave Kluge poll uh, where he tweeted out a poll that said, would you rather have running back A for 15 points a game across an entire season or running back B 25 points per game uh, across half the season where he would miss the second half? I mean, you could throw in names if it makes it easier. It's basically like, would you rather have like an Ezekiel Elliott type from this past year or a Derrick Henry type from this past year, right? And, you know, a lot of people, including myself, were like, you, you take the running back that's going to get you 25 points per game, uh, regardless of format. I mean, obviously, like 25, you, you, you know, with, with something like this, you have to think about like replacement level is what this really comes down to. You have to think about, um, you know, what happens when that 25 point per game running back goes down. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously you're going to replace that player um, and you're not going to take a zero from that spot. But it does matter if it's like a standard league or a full PPR league, because, you know, in a standard league, 15 points per game is really strong at the running back position. In a PPR league, it's a little bit easier to make up that difference um, when your 25 point per game running back goes down. So, you know, you have to think about the scoring system, of course. And then you also have to think of an Adam Harstad from Football Guys. And I had a good conversation and then I ended up talking to him separately about it just because it was a little bit convoluted. It's, sometimes conversations are very difficult to have via Twitter, as we all know. And so, uh, you know, he explained some of the, the math and logic behind it. And of course, you know, whenever you see a question like that, of course, you're weighing the importance of playoffs, right? And the fantasy playoffs being, uh, you know, the last three weeks of, of this, you know, in most leagues, 15 to weeks, 15 to 17, obviously it's a little bit sooner and in high stakes leagues and such, but you know, you have to weigh that into your equation. And, and what Adam had found through his math uh, is that it, you know, it, it, the, the playoffs account for uh, X times uh, the, the value of a regular season game, right? Uh, and, and what he found as like a break-even point uh, is that if you could find a running back as a replacement level to score 10.5 points per game, regardless of, you know, it doesn't really matter what format you're talking about at this point because you're just referring to points scored, you know, 15 versus 25 versus whatever whatever format it is. If you could find a running back to score 10.5 points per game or more, you should go with the, the, the 25 point per game running back. Otherwise, go with the 15. Now, I don't fully, fully agree with it because I, I do think that risk, to- you know, things like risk tolerance matter. And, uh, you know, f- from his perspective, uh, you should go with the 15 running back more frequently than a lot of people are saying, uh, just because getting a 10 and a half point per game running back isn't the, isn't the easiest thing to do. But I would argue that, um, you know, you, you should be striving strictly for that upside and you should be looking for, uh, you know, ways to, to just get into the playoffs. And it depends on, you know, again, your playoff structure. Like if every single team in your league is making the playoffs, then the the 25 point per game running back is irrelevant, right? Because you know that you're going to make the playoffs anyway. So there's a lot of nuance to that discussion that I think 
was completely lost on Twitter that I couldn't even have conversations with people about it because my mentions were blowing up during the whole thing. Uh, but, you know, I think it's a, at least an interesting thought exercise. But again, I mentioned this on my podcast. It's one of those exercises that's kind of irrelevant because we're never going to be faced with this dilemma, right? Like we're never going to be like, oh, I can either have this guy for half the season, the front half of the season. It's not like he's like suspended for something. And like, you know that you're going to get him back halfway through the year. It's like, oh, I'm only going to have him for the front half of the season, not the back half. Um, you know, you're just never going to be really uh, uh, ha- have this situation unfold in front of you. But I do think just logically and, and philosophically, it's a really good conversation to have. Right. Yeah, we prefer it, the uh, 25 points per game guy <laughs> on the uh, on the GOAT district. Oh, hell yeah. Can, can, can you imagine JJ trying to have that conversation on Twitter back when it was 120 characters instead of 240? Oh, oh <laughs> never. 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 That's it. I think – fantasy football analysis took a great leap forward just when we went from 120 to 240 I and mean, yeah you know just being able to flesh out things a little bit more but uh yeah yeah for sure so jd we gotta we gotta get into your gotta get into your questions here oh see it was, it was still playing from the last attempt <laughs> No, I mean, look, it's it's that time of year, right? You start looking at your dynasties uh, a little closer. You, you're trying to find the value on a daily basis, whether there's, you know, uh, news or headlines uh, or not. So talk to us about some of your best dynasty uh, buys right now. Let's start maybe at the receiver position. Yeah, I, you know, I have two wide receivers that I'm really into um, in, into buying. One of them is a higher end one, and that's Elijah Moore. Um, you know, I, I think you know a, a lot of a lot of folks. Is that is that a you're, bad, make, you're uh, making Theo blush? That's, that's a uh, he, that's a he, that's a go yeah. district a go, go district, district guy. Yeah, all right, yeah. We're, so we're say, all on you more. say Elijah, if you say Elijah Moore or Pat Frymouth on the uh, on the go district, it's usually a good thing. All right, cool. Yeah, so yeah, this this will be easy then. Uh, yeah, so you know, with, with Elijah Moore, he was a pretty elite prospect in my model. You know, my my concern with him was a more was more of a subjective concern coming out last year, where you know he was coming out um, of school not having played against a lot of press coverage, and he was really just a slot guy. Um, and then what we saw this past year is that he didn't really play the slot that much. I mean, he was really a a perimeter receiver for the Jets, and then all the while after their bye week. You know, he's averaging like 17.7 PPR points per game and he's balling out. Um, and it, it really just aligns with the fact that he was a very, very good prospect. You know, I, I thought he should have gone in the first round. I was hoping he was going to go in the first round uh, to Tennessee whenever they were uh, they were picking in the in the 20s there. But um, so so Elijah Moore, definitely someone that I love my year two model, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, it's a model that looks at um, the uh, the way that a player was as a prospect and my prospect model entering the league. And then it adds in some inputs uh, as to how the, the player performed in year one. And it predicts year two and year three success far better than year one points per game does. So obviously, you know, a lot of dynasty managers are looking at points per game from year one and they're saying, oh, this guy's good. This guy's not good. Um, and by utilizing the prospect score and by utilizing some inputs, uh, uh, some very, very basic statistical inputs, like like things like volume and stuff like that, um, you know, it's, it's able to predict uh, max season year two year three and actually i have this i have this up right now i might be able to to uh explain it oh maybe not um but basically the the hit rate uh for wide receivers in elijah moore's range um are essentially like i mean it's like it's absurd so elijah moore is in the 95th to 100th percentile in year two model score um, and if you look at that historically, if you look at the like 17 or 18 running back or wide receivers rather since 2011 that have fit in that that uh, percentile bucket, uh, 59% of them in year two or year three, so one of those two years had had at least one season of 18 or more PPR points. So basically, about 60% of the wide receivers in this tier, which is where, by the way, Jamar Chase, Devonte Smith, and Jalen Waddle are all are too. So all three of those guys are are potential studs as well. Uh, 60% of them basically gave you a top five season in points per game in years two or three. So that's what we're looking at with uh, Elijah Moore right now. I'd, I'd be very, very bullish on him. And then obviously, I mean, Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle are going to ball out. We'll see what happens with Devontae Smith and his situation. But uh, it's a really, really good place for, for Elijah Moore to be. Um, and then the other wide receiver that I'm, I'm pretty bullish on is Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, you know, I... 
I've gone through sort of a roller coaster with him and, and, and the Steelers usage with him. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, recency bias going on with Juju in terms of how the Steelers utilized him uh, in that offense. I mean, we all know the Steelers had crazy, crazy offensive line issues. Um, and over the last two years, they essentially tried to mask that those offensive line issues with a very, uh, you know, quick release type offense where Ben Roethlisberger just got rid of the ball very quickly. didn't get sacked a whole lot, but he did have a very short time to throw. Uh, in terms of that metric, um, you know, versus other quarterbacks across the league. And uh, Juju Smith-Schuster playing primarily the slot since Antonio Brown has been gone. You know, he's he's basically seen his slot number go up year over year since AB's been gone. Um, you know, Juju, and it makes sense in that offense with two two guys who can play the perimeter and, and Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. Uh, but Juju playing the slot, he saw his, uh, his the number of, of 20-plus air yard, or sorry, 15-plus air yard, uh, targets. He basically saw that cut in half over the last couple of years because of the way this offense operated, right? Um, it, but you know, if you dig into like how he performed on deeper throws and his catch rate on those throws, he was the same player. Like it wasn't like he was doing it. He just wasn't getting those targets as much because of the way the offense operated. He's always been a good red zone threat. He was a good red zone threat a couple of years ago, um, and he's really part of an elusive group to hit a certain reception threshold. I can't remember what it was, uh, you know, before hitting the age of 25. Uh, so he has the age adjusted production in the NFL as well. You know, I, I think that if he, you know, he can easily land in a, in a pretty good spot, he's not going to really take up a lot of cap. If you guys recall last year, um, you know, he, he turned down some really, really, uh, I, he, he ended up accepting a deal with the Steelers that was not very lucrative, but the deals that he turned down were still not, super, super crazy. And I think that, that the market's going to look pretty similar uh, this year after the injury that he had. So I'm very into Juju. Um, you know, I, will he be a top 15 wide receiver in fantasy again, especially from a dynasty standpoint? Maybe not. You know, he's definitely not going to be top five like he was a couple of years ago in terms of ADP and ranking. But, um, you know, if you look at like DLF right now, he's like in the low wide receiver 40s. And in, in my rankings, I have him in the high 20s, low 30s. So, uh, you know, there's some equity to be had there for sure. Steve, I think he's a great guy to great guy. Yo, to let's do a quick OTC. Let's do a quick OTC. Let's go do, do a quick OTC. JJ, we're going to do some OTC on the clock real quick with the receivers, and then Theo will, will take the mic. But uh, J- JJ or JJ, see, you're in my you're in my head. Juju, <laughs> Ju- Juju or or Hunter Renfrew? Uh, I go Juju. Guys, uh, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, if we knew where Juju was going to be, um, it would be a little easier to go to the Juju side. Like, I'd love to see. You know, Juju and Minnesota taking on, you know, the Cooper Cup role or something like that. Uh, But I don't know. I I, I think right now I'm going to go Renfro. But again, I I think it's close and it's going to kind of depend on the situation that Juju finds himself in. What do you think, Theo? I think that they're both wide receiver threes right now. Um, And I think that you could trade you could trade Renfro to get Juju plus, plus like a, yeah, a third. Yes. So if you're, if you're in dynasty and this is, if you're, in, if you're playing dynasty, this is exactly the kind of way to, to profit off of, of Renfro season. But I do think, I do think Renfro uh, will have a valuable role in, in McDaniel's offense. I don't see the slot yeah. just disappearing regardless of Waller. That's a good one though, JD. Yep. Yeah. And I was going to say Juju, um, I've tried to to offer like second round picks, random second round picks uh, next year or a second round pick this year to get Juju. I think it's a great bet. And I think some people wouldn't mind cashing out on him uh, and taking what they can get because of fear. Um, And I think there's upside in in that sort of a deal right now in Dynasty. How about your your Dynasty sells? I know you had a a few running backs that were interesting um, that showed up on your Dynasty sells show. Yeah. So, you know, I, I typically, you know, I, it, it's, it's tried and true and it's something that, you know, I still believe in and it's the idea of not investing in trading for high end running backs and usually investing in lower tiered running backs. Like one of the buys, one of the dynasty buys I had on the show was Khalil Herbert. You know, it's a, a dart nice. throw type of buy, uh-huh. right. Where it's mm-hmm. like, like at worst, he's a handcuff um, where, you know, at best there's more of a timeshare than we expect. And then David Montgomery has gone after next year. So that's sort of the way that I approach the running back position is that I'm going to buy players, these running backs, whenever they're perceived to be low, um, you know, like I, I'm talking like just, just dart throw running backs. And I'll rarely, rarely go after an, like an Alvin Kamara right now or a Dalvin cook right now. It just is not uh, the way that I approach dynasty. Um, but from a sell standpoint, 
uh, I will gladly sell sell running backs, right? Um, you know, one guy that I mentioned, I just mentioned David Montgomery. I think he's an interesting sell right now. Uh, I, I try to be a year early on these guys, uh, and and I'm I'm okay if I miss out on a, a a decent year of production from that player, right? So I'm not saying sell David Montgomery because I think David Montgomery uh, is not going to be a workhorse this year. I think that's absolutely in his range of outcomes. It's more so. There's a lot of ambiguity to a situation right now. You have Khalil Herbert, who looked very, very good last year. You have a new coaching staff there. You have a, a rookie contract that's going to be up. And, and of course, like all these things could align where they're like, we need David Montgomery on this team. He's going to resign. He's going to get an extension. And we're going to we're going to utilize him like a workhorse. Of course, that's part of his range of outcomes. But, uh, you know, just this is just based strictly on cost. Right. So. Uh, Montgomery is someone who I think is okay to sell. You know, these those that that tier of running back, I generally feel pretty good about selling. That you're going to win that bet seven times out of ten. Uh, Damian Harris is another one who I just it's very difficult for me to get behind, and he still has a fair. Hurt my, hurt my feelings on that one, but I like your reasoning. Yeah, he still still has a, a relatively decent ADP. I mean, look, Damian Harris last year was number one in the NFL in percentage of points that came from touchdowns. Uh, and if you look at what uh, New England Patriot running backs have done with Bill Belichick and, and with whoever the offensive coordinator will end up, you know, ends up being, et cetera, and like who throughout the years is what I'm saying. Uh, the, the, the running backs in that Patriots backfield uh, have traditionally been uh, you're either an early down bruiser or you're a pass catching back, right? Uh, we we have not seen a running back over the last decade in New England have a high running back rush share. I can't even remember what the threshold was that I used for him uh, with a 4% target share, a 4% target share. So we haven't seen even close to a workhorse back in that New England backfield. And Damian Harris is coming off, I think we would agree, probably one of his top seasons of his career. Like it, like Like this is probably it for Damian Harris, like just in terms of, fantasy production and he was still despite doing what he did in the touchdown column in ppr formats he was still the rb20 in ppr points per game this past year i think there's this like dissonance between the way people think damian harris did this past year versus how he actually performed because he did have those blow-up weeks right and that's totally fine and valid i understand and he was hurt but, a bit he was hurt yeah a bit and he, yeah like yeah right mm-hmm. and then you and i haven't even mentioned ramondre stevenson yet who I, think I was gonna is, i was gonna ask you where you put him versus harris value yeah so i i have i have ramondre ahead of damian harris right now in my dynasty rankings i i i, I like betting on the younger player i liked ramondre stevenson quite a bit as a prospect he had he's another guy who had a very incomplete profile because he was suspended in college and he had a bunch of issues uh but if you looked at what he did when he was active he was this big bodied back who had this incredible receiving profile and you just don't see that very often. And so I talked about that a lot on my show last year, kind of reiterating that point with Ramondre because it's just a unique, you know, with those like third, fourth, fifth round guys, I try to latch on to something that's unique about their profile because traditionally that's where, you know, you can find some sort of outlier stud. Um, We saw that with Elijah Mitchell, you know, Elijah Mitchell had that crazy Mm -hmm. speed score. Um, and, and that's, you know, I, that's actually a good segue because Elijah Mitchell's another player that I, I think is a sell right now. Um, you Dan, know, are you, Dan, are you listening? Cause you, you, you've sent me a couple of these guys to buy in, in one of our leagues today. I, I don't know, man, we're going to have to talk after this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, here's the thing in, in dynasty, I still have a little bit of love, but in, uh, in best ball at, at the prices that are going at right now, I mean, it's just, I, I reflectively cannot take Elijah Mitchell in best ball. Just can't yeah, for it. sure. Agree. You know, he's he's yeah. going in like the, the you know fourth round, and I'm just like I am so out at, at that price. But if I can find somebody who's not really sold on him in dynasty, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking for is the guy who's looking to uh, cash out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and I look, I, I even wrote this up in my prospect guide mm-hmm. that I won't fault anyone for holding on to a lot. Like I drafted Elijah Mitchell a lot last year and I, you know, I'm, it sounds like a, a sick brag. Humble brag. Humble <laughs> yeah, brag. Yeah. Or yeah, I do it every other, every two or three weeks. Yeah. On this show. yeah. We, we, we were all over on the goat district. Too, yeah. So yeah. I mean, good company. He, oh yeah. He was great. He was great on my Jamar Chase, Debo Samuel, Josh Allen. Team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me just put it out there that I do. I did draft Harris Marshall last year too. Just to, just to even that out. Yes. So, we, so we're all good. Yeah, yeah. Guilty. Guilty. So, so, uh, so with, with Elijah, Mitchell, like I have him on, on a number of dynasty rosters, and I'm not I'm not trading him away everywhere. You know, I, I think that when you get a player for that cheap who then ends up just rising in cost like that and, and becoming something so valuable, you know, you can just ride it out, and it's not gonna it's not gonna kill your dynasty squad. But 
the the argument against Elijah Mitchell is, you know, I, I think a lot of people sit there and they say, we've never seen this before. We've never seen this before. You can't use historical comparisons with a guy like Elijah Mitchell. And I would argue that to some degree. Yeah. You know, like he, he, he had it definitely had an outlier season. We don't typically see that, but one of the things that I'm doing in this uh, year two model is what I call journey comparables. And they basically look at a player's prospect score versus a player's uh, year two score. And they find players in history that had a very similar trajectory as to where they were coming into the league and how they looked after year one within these models has nothing to do with play style has nothing to do with size has nothing to do with any of that. It's literally just their two scores. Right. And the three comps, the number one comp for Elijah Mitchell was Zach Stacy. Okay. The, num- the number, number two comp for Elijah. I, I, liked, Mitchell. I liked him for a week. I'm pretty yeah, sure right, right. for a week or two. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the number two comp for Elijah Mitchell was Andre Ellington who looked good in the year two model because the year two model, like most of my models, it, it skews towards pass catchers and uh, targets. And it's just an important predictive metric. So uh, Andre Ellington was number two. Number three was James Robinson. That was the third, uh, you know, comp for Elijah Mitchell and his journey and his path. We know what happened with Zach Stacy. We know what happened with Andre Ellington and James Robinson's team went out and drafted a running back in the first round. I mean, there's, there's just so much variability. There's just so much volatility and, and so much fragility to these later round running backs that, you know, could Elijah Mitchell become the next big, I mean, we saw Chris Carson become pretty relevant year over year after being a later round pick. Yeah. It's of course it's possible, but yeah, Austin Eckler, of course. Yeah. Like these, Mm -hmm. these things happen, right? Like it's not like this is why I approach this stuff, not in a black and white way. Cause you can't, it's, it's silly to approach it in a black and white way. It doesn't make any sense to do that. We're playing odds, right? Like we're trying to make bets. Mm -hmm. And to me, a guy like Elijah Mitchell, when you put everything together, you know, I think that you win uh, that that deal if you're selling them right now, like eight times out of ten, at least compared to what's gone on in history. So that's the main reason I, I would be selling Elijah Mitchell. It sucks too because I really like him. He's obviously super fun to watch, but there 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 are some concerns still though with like his situation, the fact that he wasn't utilized that much of, as a pass catcher this past year. Like there, it, it's not like he was this like flawless fantasy asset when he was playing he was seeing an absurd amount of volume i mean he was seeing a ton of work on the ground but what happens if they do bring back raheem mostert and he gets he gets work in that backfield too what happens if they add a running back to that back i mean there's there's at least more volatility i think to this profile than what people are are thinking at face value follow-up question on elijah mitchell dan you mentioned him as a potential uh guy you were looking to buy what would you uh consider giving up for him um, if we're talking draft picks in a, in a regular, let's say, FFPC uh, Dynasty League, non-Superflex. See, I'm, look, I'm probably looking to get get him for more of like a high second, something like that. Uh, you know, whether that's realistic or not is hard to say. You know, I know a lot of a lot of his owners are kind of looking for that late first to get out. Uh, and depending on the team, you know, I'm you know if I had uh, you know like a couple late firsts and a couple high seconds, I might I might spend the late first on him. Uh, you know, just because of that particular team situation. But overall with guys like that, you know, I'm like, I've got, I had a lot of Mitchell in, uh, in my redraft, not so much in my dynasty last year, uh, you know, which is kind of upsetting because I was on him, but I just, I never really uh, got him in some of my leagues. And, you know, so with a guy like Elijah Mitchell, if I have a lot of shares of him, I'm kind of looking to sell him in some leagues and then keep him in others. You know, uh, just to just, you know, as JJ was saying, you know, it's not a sure bet that he's going to succeed. It's not a sure bet that he's going to fail. And so, you know, I would treat my portfolio like that. I would keep him in some places and sell him in some places, depending on where it made the most sense to do so. How about you, JJ? If, if you're if you're selling Mitchell, are, are you thinking about taking that early second or for you would be looking to absolutely get in that first round pick? Yeah, I try to get a first. You know, I, I think that the the break even point is that early second. Like if like it's it, I, I'd probably honestly still keep Mitchell in that case. Like I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that we're closer. That's part of the problem with fantasy discourse too. Is that like we're always closer than it seems whenever we're talking about these guys. But yeah. um, you know, I I, I think I, I think if I could get into the first round for Elijah Mitchell, I would do it. Um, when you get in the second, especially a non super flex, if you get into the second. Um, you know, it would be a little bit iffier, and I'd probably still end up holding Mitchell there. Especially if he drafted him in the rookie draft. He was, like, right. free. He was free. Yeah, you know? right. 
Right. Yeah. I'm probably, well, I'm probably I mean, holding it away on that. There's no, there's, there's no harm in cashing out on something you got for free and, you know, just turning True. it into a, right. a hard asset. But um, yeah, I, I, um, I just want to, if we can, before, uh, before we get JJ out of here, I wanted to, to get, since the combine is happening this week, just kind of get his thoughts on athleticism and the combine and uh, how that relates to his draft picks. And uh, you know, how much, how much do you fade the combine at each position or how much do you value it? Uh, just kind of give us some general thoughts on that. Yeah. So, you know, I don't have a, a tight end or a quarterback model. I only, I only model running backs and wide receivers, which we know, you know, they're the most important positions to do so, but I just haven't cracked the code for the other positions. I haven't tried as hard as running back and wide receiver, but um, I do know though, factually just through research and like stuff that I did on, on finding breakout tight ends and fantasy drafts and stuff that uh, athleticism at the tight end position is important. It's an actual, you know, I, I, like speed height adjusted speed score is something that I care a lot about at the tight end position. Whereas, uh, you know, speed score at running back is part of my model, part of the running back model, but uh, it's, it's basically for a guy to just hit a threshold. Uh, it's yeah. not about like he needs to be this insane athlete in order to, uh, you know, have a higher score within the model. It's mostly, he's just got to hit like an, you know, like a 20th percentile type threshold, um, in order to not get dinged, uh, for being a bad athlete. So, um, you know, I care a little bit about the running back stuff wide receiver. I don't really care that much at all about, about the combine. It's not in my model at all. No, no wide receiver, um, athletic measurables are in the model. Uh, I do care about the height and weight stuff that, that comes out, you know, on Thursday. Um, but I, I, I don't care about, um, you know, how fast guys are or anything like that. I mean, obviously, here's the thing. And here's how I broke it down within the draft guide is that, you know, people were like, well, wouldn't you rather have a, a super fast and huge wide receiver, you know, DK Metcalf type versus a guy who's super, super slow, um, you know, and is, is not, a, you know, is not that big or anything like that. And, and yeah, of course, I would rather have a DK Metcalf versus that other guy, but there are other things in the model that are, that are going to capture that, right? Like draft capital, like, like how often are you going to see uh, an unproductive slow wide receiver get drafted in the first round or the second round, or even the third round of the NFL draft? You know, it's not, it doesn't happen very often. And even like a guy like Kadarius Tony, who didn't have the best production profile in the world, you know, he can still look fine and, and capture that athleticism with his draft capital. So that's part of the reason why I don't have to care about what happens at wide receiver. You know, if there is some crazy anomaly that occurs where a guy runs a four, seven, five, and he ends up being a first round pick, then yeah, we have a dilemma in our hand. Like, like this is an issue that we got to work through, but like, it just, that, just, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen. It's just a pure hypothetical. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I kind of almost go to the extent that um, at wide receiver, if I, if I see them going with a higher draft capital than what, the, what we were thinking before the combine, uh, you know, and it, and it looks like what they did at the combine is what pushed them up the draft board. Uh, that actually makes me a little bit more leery about that player. Whereas when mm-hmm. I see a, a player hold their draft position, despite not doing well at the combine, that almost gives me a little bit more confidence. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I love that. I, I love that outlook and that logic for sure. And And the other thing that like with wide receivers in particular, it's like, you know, a, a one running back there, there's basically like one type of position you can play at the running back position, right? You're playing running back, you're getting handed the ball, you know, there's different styles, but you're doing mostly the same thing. The wide receiver position. There's like, there's like tons of different types of wide receivers. There's tons of different positions you can play within the wide receiver position. So, you know, a guy like Hunter Renfro, who we talked about earlier is going to look a lot different in a spreadsheet than a guy like DK Metcalf will, but it doesn't mean that he can't be, uh, productive because he's this guy, you know, he's, he's built like an accountant, right? Like it, it doesn't mean that, that he's incapable of performing well at the wide receiver position. Uh, you know, we should always lead at least from prospecting at the wide receiver position. Production is so important. College production matters so much. Age adjusted production matters so much. And if you're weighing that, you know, in your head or whether it's in a model or not, I mean, I would hope it wouldn't be in a model, but you know, if you're weighing the combine and giving it the same amount of weight, as age adjusted production, I think you're doing it wrong because the age adjusted production, there's just so much more predictiveness to that than what you're going to see these guys do in shorts. Definitely makes sense. Guys, you see it on the screen. Uh, big announcement tonight. We have a new partnership with underdog. Uh, you know, we love the FFPC. We play on the FFPC. We play on underdog. They complement each other just like dynasty and best ball, baby, like jam and peanut butter. Whatever you want to put in your sandwich, that's what they jive. I mean, I mean, it's just a compliment. 
uh, the volumes complement each other, the tournaments. You Right now, actually, on, on um, Underdog, they got rookies and sophomores. They just launched playing for 100K in prize money. Guys, download the mobile app on your phone if you don't have it already. Sign up. Use the code DISTRICT. They've got the big board, which is basically their season-long fantasy for next year with the rookies involved, um, their season-long tournament. Guys, go check out Underdog. It's a ton of fun. We'll be doing a lot of live drafts uh, throughout this offseason on the FFTC and on Underdog, just so you guys can see all the fun, all the different tournaments on there. And uh, we'll be talking all kinds of roster construction, uh, draft strategy, and, and you know buys and sells, all the good stuff, guys. JJ, tonight was awesome. I mean, we tried to squeeze as much as we could in this 60, and it's a good thing you gave us the, the time because I don't know if you know. I know you're the king of, like, the efficiency in fantasy football podcasts. I mean, I love yes. you for it. You know, you give me the goodness for 15 to 20, but here sometimes we let it bleed a little. You know, we go, we go like, 90. Sometimes we go 120, whatever, whatever. But we appreciate you for tonight. We appreciate the 60 you gave us. Remind the people about your site, about anything else you're dropping, anything else they can look forward to. And uh, maybe you answer Claypool on the way out or uh, Wheeler on the way out. Juju or Claypool? Well, first I'd go I'd go Claypool over Juju. I th- I still think there's there's a lot more upside with Chase Claypool right now. Being that perimeter guy, you know, he's got touch- positive touchdown regression coming next year. Hopefully a better quarterback situation, not necessarily in 2022, but hopefully 2023 and beyond. Uh, so, yeah, I'm still going with Chase Claypool. Um, you know, as for the stuff that I'm working on, you know, everything you can find over on LateRound.com. It'll it's a hub that'll take you to the different spots that uh, for where I'm producing content. So Patreon page, uh, drop my dynasty rankings for for February yesterday and the last day of February. Uh, those are there, both superflex and single quarterback rankings. Um, and then I do live streams with patrons as well. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and then the draft guide, prospect guide. Uh, it's a it's a comprehensive guide. I mean, I I have it all laid out now, and I've uh, I just have to kind of finish up prospect profiles and stuff, you know, with the combine happening and get the right height and weights in there and talk about these guys as intelligently as I can. Uh, but it's like 140 pages in PDF form for folks to to sift through and kind of be there as like a, um, you know, if you need to reference a player, you can just search for the player within that guide and see exactly what the model thinks of him. Uh, it'll give I'll, I'll have updates, you know, after the draft is over. Uh, to, to give folks draft capital delta, what we talked about earlier, uh, for all of those prospects and such. So uh, hopefully, you know, a lot of folks get a lot out of it because I've put a, a ton into it. Um, and, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very pleased and excited to, uh, to get that out. So check it all out over on LateRound.com. And JJ also won um, the Football Writer of the Year this past year from the FSWA. So we should give you a big shout out for that. Looking forward to seeing a lot, a lot of your writing on, on the new site. It should be awesome. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Yep. Dan, you got any uh, words before we, we close this out? No, man. I'm just uh, out there signing up for uh, best ball drafts, uh, working on polishing up those dynasty rosters, uh, waiting, waiting to hopefully get a, a couple of uh, maiden drafts going for dynasty a little bit later this year. So. Right now, it's just all about uh, watching what's going on at the combine, watching uh, what uh, you know what what's about to happen in free agency. I'm super excited about that. Just trying to prep up my dynasty teams for uh, how things are going to change. Theo, an awesome, another awesome, huge get tonight. You, you've been just bringing in the, the whales, brother. You're you're officially the whale hunter. That's that's what we're calling you. Uh, some more magic tonight. We appreciate all the goodness uh, you're bringing. Anything to share? Anything you you want to spread uh, before we close this out? No, it's a, it's an awesome time for fantasy football. Like Dan said, you have the uh, the draft. You know, right around the corner. You have free agency starting in in I believe two weeks. Um, and it's, it's just an awesome time. Like Dan, I'm trying to, uh, you know, get my, get my dynasty rosters as good as possible. Um, trying to pick up an orphan here or there. And, um, I'm, <laughs> Daily. I'm, stoked. I'm, Daily. I'm you know, I, I keep my, I keep my eye open for those and, uh, yeah, I'm stoked for the combine as well. Um, and, uh, shout out to Billy Wazowski. He'll be on tomorrow night. Uh, he won the NFFC, uh, Rotowire online championship. Um, he's an NFFC hall of famer. Um, and he'll be on with us tomorrow night to discuss uh, some early ADP reactions. I just did a, I just did a best ball draft with him, the uh, NFFC 
draft champions, so we'll have a chance to look at a board we did together and uh, hear his thoughts about some of the best values he sees. Um, it's great to get Billy on now because it's not it's not August where he's just not going to tell us anything when it gets too close <laughs> to the uh, the big big draft. He'll actually be uh, he'll actually be com- completely honest tomorrow night, so that'll be uh, that'll be great. And thanks again awesome. to JJ. This was an awesome show, man. Yeah, yep. appreciate it. Yeah, man. Good show. Uh, guys, tune in tomorrow for Billy. Big show tomorrow. And it's perfect timing because I, I might sign up for one of those bad boys. Uh, Theo, you got me sold on one of them. Long drafts. I mean, nothing wrong this time of year to take one of those. Guys, underdog, use the, the code district. If you're not signed up yet uh, to get that sign-up bonus, check out myffpc.com at goat district to get that sign-up sign up bonus on uh, myffpc.com. And guys, just enjoy, enjoy the combine. Enjoy the trades. Enjoy your drafts. Slow, live, or any which way you like. We'll check you all later. District, you know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing on all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played. So, what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex. Send the homie a text. That trash offers the best. You try to make it complex. Then they text you back. Now, all of a sudden, they don't make any sense. <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. Trade's not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I always be traded. And I always be traded. And I always be traded. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish. Awesome show, guys. That was fun. Yeah, man. Ton of fun, JJ. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, guys. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was 